Chapter Six of The Fortune Hunter, a novel of New York Society. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. The ballroom opens. More. Ca helas, dans nos salons, où la foule est si grande. Qui sait de l'ours? Sous les brillants d'ors d'un plaisir de commande, où sont nos cours? Esther Clinton stood at her mirror in a fanciful yet tasteful ballroom attire. She contemplated, with more than usual animation, the really beautiful features reflected before her. By her side, Rachel, forgetful of her own dishabille, a smoothing a fold here, fastening a flower there, knotting a ribbon, or twisting a curl. Sprinkle a little water on my hair. These ringlets do not fall loosely enough, said Esther. Oh, no, sister, pray let them be. If they fall about your shoulders entirely uncurled, it gives you such a slovenly appearance. To your eyes which finds something slovenly in careless grace, but not to those of others. Sprinkle the water, or I shall do it myself. Rachel obeyed, and the ringlets untwined themselves at her touch, leaving a mass of waving hair around the face and throat of their fair possessor, which gave her the Ophelia-like appearance she desired. You are quite ready now, Esther, are you not? Yes, let us go. I wonder if Miss Adair has invited Mr. Brainard. She is acquainted with the Chadwicks, is she? Is the carriage here? I believe so. I have not commenced my own toilet yet, but I shall complete it while you are putting on your gloves. How beautifully you look! Rachel ran out of the room, speedily exchanged her wrapper for a dress of unadorned white, smoothed back her fine and abundant hair, saying to herself, no matter, nobody will look at me, and I must not keep Esther waiting, and returned to her sister. As she entered the room, Mrs. Clinton was holding Esther's hands, turning her around to survey her graceful contour, and kissing her forehead, cheeks, and lips, with every token of affectionate admiration. Rachel came forward rather timidly and said, "'Good-bye, mother.' Are you ready? Goodbye, replied Mrs. Clinton, imprinting another kiss upon Esther's lips and turning away from her elder daughter. Rachel was incapable of envy, but she longed for a return of the affection which animated her own bosom. As Esther drew her cloak around her, Rachel once more approached her mother and tenderly kissed her for adieu. The cold pressure of the lip which met hers in return chilled her heart and damped her spirits. She entered the carriage in silence, and none saw the tear that stood in her eye. None knew the emotions that she forced herself to control. The flash of lights, the swell of music, the hum of mirthful voices soon banished all disturbing thoughts. Rachel's countenance was perfectly serene before she entered the ballroom with Esther. They were greeted by their vivacious hostess with a flood of questions, to none of which, however, a reply was needed or expected. 
Miss Adair was all animation, and excitement, and agitation. The hue of her face strongly resembled that of the scarlet folds of her red and green turban. Her portly form was compressed into a robe of crimson velvet, until its proportions might almost have been called elegant. Her arms and ears and neck were encumbered with more jewels than an Indian queen would have thought it convenient to carry and her robe was covered with a quantity of rich lace, for which it must have puzzled Mademoiselle Armand's inventive genius to have found a place. Her eyebrows looked several shades darker than usual, her teeth as many shades whiter, and her light, woolly-looking hair was frizzed about her small gray eyes into double its ordinary tangle. She fluttered about among her guests, dispensing smiles and queries with lavish profusion, on restless tiptoe hovering, giggling with all the gallants that beset her. To the gentlemen she was especially courteous, but the arm which she accepted with most pleasure, and which she called upon most frequently to assist her versing the room, was that of Mr. Brainerd. When Esther Clinton entered the room, this gentleman found some difficulty in dividing himself equally between the two fair ones. But Mr. Ellery was the Solomon who assisted him in the just distribution, and encouraged him when his attention flagged with the warning of, "'Remember, both your birds are yet in the bush. Keep an eye on them, or one may fly.' While Brainerd was engaged in procuring Miss Adair a glass of lemonade, she turned to Esther, who was standing with clasped hands and pendant arms, gazing abstractly on the convivial scene, and addressed her. "'Have you been long acquainted with Mr. Brainerd, Miss Esther?' Esther started, looking wildly about her, then solemnly replied, "'Long? No, not long, as ordinary mortals compute time, yet—' How long in reality? Don't you think him handsome? Yes. How old is he? I know not. He is rich, is he not? In wealth which the gods love. But Mr. Ellery says he has a large fortune, does he not? Yes, replied Esther, sinking again into reverie. "'Has he any family connections here?' "'No reply. "'Do you not like the color of his eyes?' "'Still no answer. "'Do you not think that he... "'Will Miss Adair accept this refreshing draught "'from the hands of her obedience?' "'Mr. Brainerd's eye accidentally fell on Esther, "'and he stopped short, "'abruptly concluding his sentence with a bow.' Esther believed him to be so perfectly engrossed by his passion for her that a suspicion of his ever wasting a thought upon any other person never entered her mind, not even when he asked her if her lovely friend, Miss Walton, would not add one more charm to the company by her presence in their gay assembly that night. "'What, Miss Walton?' questioned Miss Adair, who overheard him. Uh, the niece of a Mr. Mordaunt, answered Brainerd. What Mordaunt? He is a lawyer, I believe. Is he a widower? 
Uh, no, uh, he is unfortunate enough to be a bachelor, replied Brainerd, with the fellow feeling which makes us kind. Is he rich? I think not. Where are the parents of Miss Walton? Both dead. Is she pretty? Brainerd was about to give a rapturous description of the fair Arya's charms, but prudence made him an opportune suggestion, and he replied with apparent indifference, Some persons think her so. Where does she live? In 8th Street with a Mr. and Mrs. Limming. The Limmings! Oh, I know Mrs. Limming quite well. Is it the young girl living with them that you are talking about? Quite a suspicious character. I never have anything to do with such people. The girl can never be admitted into good society. I should not consider her a proper person to visit. Mr. Brainerd looked at Esther as though he hoped she would defend her friend, but she appeared to be wholly engrossed by her own reflections. I must rouse her, thought Brainerd. This will never do. I must be making more progress. Or when shall I bring matters to a conclusion? How I dodged about to escape that eternal badger today! I must make one desperate push to rid myself of that fellow. I'll do it tonight. With this determination, Brainerd offered his arm to Esther, and declaring that the apartment was too warm for so fragile a creature, drew her toward the supper-room. It was empty, for supper had not yet been announced, but the table was spread with every imaginable delicacy. Brainerd chose a rosy-cheeked love-apple that lay embedded among bunches of luscious grapes, and presented it to Esther, saying, "'Lovely Estelle, were I a Paris, I would award the golden apple of beauty to the only—' "'Mr. Brainerd! Mr. Brainerd! I have been looking all over for you!' Mr. Brainerd turned and encountered the searching glance of Miss Priscilla Adair. "'I am ever at your service,' he said with alacrity. "'I really thought Miss Estelle looked faint, and although supper had not yet been served, I took the liberty of luring her here to procure some refreshment. Miss Priscilla looked but half-satisfied with this excuse, and accepted the disengaged arm of Brainerd, while Esther hung on the other.' "'What shall I do with these two divine creatures?' muttered Brainerd to himself, looking first on one side, then the other. "'Which shall I select for my wife? Whichever will have me, of course. Too much the beggar, Mr. Augustus Brainerd, to be the chooser. And now to get rid of one, it matters little which. How happy could I be with either? Twere the other dear charmer away.' Mr. Brainerd was just beginning to hum an appropriate air from the beggar's opera, when the master of ceremonies' command of, "'Gentlemen, take your partners!' fortunately checked him. Brainerd requested the hand of Miss Priscilla, but, as she thought it advisable to refuse, he contented himself with leading Mrs. Esther to the head of the cotillion. It has been the complaint of foreigners on visiting New York, that fashionable society is chiefly led by young girls just escaped from the confinement of boarding schools, and young men whom the dancing master has fitted for a ballroom, but who have never fitted themselves for any other sphere. 
the married gentlemen at a party heard together and discussed the rise and fall in stocks while the married ladies be their charms grace and information what they may bloom in rows along the walls of the apartment totally deserted by younger gentlemen and only now and then receiving a word or an ice-cream from their legal protectors the circle of wallflowers is greatly increased by bells who have danced through a few seasons without obtaining a partner for life and here rachel clinton took a seat watching the dancers with as pleased an expression of countenance as though she was moving to the enlivening sound of the music among them her strange determination to renounce the name and privileges of an heiress had speedily rumored about and as she expected her admirers no longer beheld anything about her on which to bestow their flattery and her suitors had been suddenly frightened by her coldness and pronounced her heart too obdurate for further siege that evening she had been following esther about from room to room arranging her dress whenever it became discomposed mourning over her dishevelled locks concealing her ridiculous speeches by giving them some ingenious interpretation and rousing her from her reveries when they attracted the attention of the malicious esther was now dancing and rachel supposing she would not need her services until the close of that cotillion seated herself beside a talkative old lady who was chaperoning two nieces and entered into the conversation how remarkably well miss adair looks to-night observed rachel addressing the old lady yes replied the lady she is dashing out of late we are to have a grand supper i hear it is hardly time for it yet for my nephews have not come they always know the supper hour and arrive just in time i have heard that miss adair intends giving a fancy ball do you suppose there is any truth in that report very likely the fact is she is determined to settle herself this winter do you not mention it to anybody but between you and me she has found out that it is high time well yes if she intends to marry i suppose that she is old enough to choose with discretion replied rachel good-humouredly oh i don't allude to her years a husband is not all that she wants she must have a rich one i ought not to mention it for it is quite a secret but then you are such a judicious young person miss rachel that i am sure that it will not go any further you know miss adair has two brothers benjamin and joseph well they do say but whether it is true or not i can't exactly answer that those brothers who had the sole management of her fortune have invested it almost all in fancy stocks and speculated so largely that they have quite ruined her so to save herself from poverty for you know both brothers are as poor as job's turkey she intends to get herself a rich husband i sincerely hope the report is not true replied rachel with an expression of sympathy don't mention it for the world replied her informer you see it was my nephew who told me and it might get him into trouble if it got wind the report shall gain no circulation through me returned rachel 
What report, my dear Miss Clinton, asked Mr. Ellery, who at that instant approached her. Oh, not of any consequence, only a bit of scandal, such as you know we ladies delight in. I never knew that before, that Miss Rachel Clinton delighted in scandal, but I must not forget my mission. I come to request permission to present you to Mr. Allen, who desires an introduction to Miss Clinton. To my sister, he means. The cotillion is just finishing. You will find her in the next room. No, it was to you. There is no mistake. He pointed you out. There may be a mistake in spite of that, replied Rachel, her lip curling almost scornfully. Perhaps it is to Miss Clinton the heiress he wishes to be presented, and supposes that I am still she. No, I assure you, he noticed you some time ago, when you were standing by Miss Astor. He has been talking to me about you since, and— as a mere matter of conversation, I informed him of your extraordinary determination. As he really desires an introduction, I hope you will not refuse it. I have no excuse for doing so. Mr. Ellery bowed and went in search of the gentleman. Whom did he say, my dear? inquired the lady with whom she had been conversing. A Mr. Allen, I believe. Is it possible? A fine young man, but exceedingly strange in his manner towards ladies. They call him the woman-hater, because he hardly ever addresses a lady. He has just returned from travelling in Europe. He is a young man of immense fortune. Do, pray, take an opportunity to introduce him to my nieces. I will not forget to do so. Before Rachel could say any more, Mr. Ellery returned, conducting a rather diffident-looking but very handsome young man, whom he presented to her as Mr. Allen. Rachel's habitual forgetfulness of self, united to an amiable desire to give pleasure, usually made her an agreeable companion in society. But in this instance she became exceedingly cold and taciturn. She saw that Mr. Allen was handsome and gentlemanly, and soon discovered him to be well-informed and a skilful student of human nature. She could not fathom the motives which induced him to request a presentation to her. He asked her to dance, and she was too fond of the exercise to refuse, but little of her attention during the quadrille was devoted to her partner. When it closed, she remembered her promise to the old lady and presented Mr. Allen to her nieces. He entered into conversation with him, but when Rachel moved away, he immediately followed her, and continued at her side the rest of the evening. Immediately after supper, Rachel and Esther withdrew. Brainerd conducted Esther to the carriage, pressing her fingers and saying something about the moon, which was shining in their faces as he bid her adieu. Rachel was led by Mr. Allen. As the carriage door closed, he politely requested that she would permit him the pleasure of calling upon her. She was so much surprised at his whole conduct that, although looking him full in the face, the carriage drove off without her according the permission he desired. Mrs. Clinton was awaiting them in the parlor when they reached home. "'Have you been lonely without us, mother?' asked Rachel." Oh, not at all. I had a most delightful visit from Mrs. Chadwick. 
she says that if anybody in the world can cure me of my tic douloureux it is her husband and i intend to send for him to-morrow she is a delightful woman and has such affection for my sweet estelle for me mother we have but seldom met that does not make any difference of course she has heard all about you from her son from what she says i am inclined to think he is desperately in love with you and after all the anecdotes she has related to me about him i really do not know a young man i would rather have for a son-in-law do you intend to be as cruel as usual my own estelle i am so often forced to be cruel but to him i fear i never could be though it would break the heart of another who loves me as well but less wisely my dear mother interrupted rachel i am quite sure you must have misunderstood mrs chadwick edgar is in love but not with my sister rachel rachel exclaimed esther lifting her hands and eyes to heaven this from you you do not flatter yourself that he comes here to see you yourself i hope demanded mrs clinton with some asperity you do not suppose it is you he is in love with far from it mother i have no such thought he is in love with aria walton esther looked at rachel without surprise and merely answered you have not seen his heart as i have what nonsense you talk rachel said her mother i understood mrs chadwick perfectly well and she gave me to understand that her son was in love with estelle do you not suppose i have ears and some comprehension go to bed now and do not say any more about it it is estelle he loves and he has made a good choice i shall not sleep this night until i get your father to think favorably of the match that mrs chadwick is such a delightful woman End of chapter six